6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Isaiah, chapters 63 through 66. O Lord, why hast thou made us to err from thy ways and hardened our heart from thy fear? Return for thy servant's sake the tribes of thine inheritance, and the people of thy holiness have possessed it but a little while. Our adversaries have trampled down thy sanctuary. We are thine. Thou didst never bear rule over them. They were not called by thy name. Plea of Israel. Our adversaries have trampled down thy sanctuary. It could be referring to Babylon, but it also could be referred to the Romans trampling down the temple in 70 A.D. But let's go on. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that thy mountains might flow down at thy presence, as when the melting fire burneth. That sounds like it's out of Peter, doesn't it? Or Micah 1, either way. And the fire causeth the waters to boil, and make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. One of the strangest things, it's hard to visualize, but it's very vivid in the Scripture, both Old and New Testament is this whole notion of a conflict, an open, knowledgeable conflict between God and the nations on the earth. That's weird. And we can understand unbelief. We can understand those kinds of things. But it's hard for us to imagine the world organ in an organized way taking up arms against God. And yet, that's what the first psalm talks about. I should explain that. In the psalms, the, what we call the first psalm is actually an introduction in the Hebrew uh, Bible, I believe. Psalm 2 is really the first psalm. And psalm 2 is exactly that. Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost talking about the futility of the nations taking up against the God of the universe. That's insanity. But coming. That the nations may tremble at thy presence. And when thou didst terrible things which we looked not for, thou camest down the mountains, flowed down at thy presence. For since the beginning of the world, Men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him who waiteth for him. That's interesting. It's very familiar to us because it's quoted in 1 Corinthians 2.9, but in a slightly different context. We're going to see the same idea in Isaiah 65 shortly, John 14, Revelation 21. For since the beginning of the world, man hath not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God beside thee, what he hath prepared for them who waiteth for him. That's got two sides of that coin. <laughs> you see, here in this context, it sounds a little ominous. Thou meetest him who rejoices and worketh in righteousness. Those who remember thee in thy ways, behold, thou art angry. For we have sinned in whose, in whose continuance, and we shall be saved. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are <laughs> as used menstrual cloths. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. 
And there is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee, for thou hast hidden thy face from us and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, thou art our Father. We are the clay, and thou art potter, and we are all the work of thy hand. There's that idiom again. Paul uses it so often in Romans and elsewhere. Be not exceedingly angry, O Lord, neither remember iniquity forever. Behold, see, we beseech thee, we are all thy people. Thy holy cities are a wilderness, Zion a wilderness, Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house, where our fathers praise thee, is burned up with fire, and all our pleasant things are laid waste. Wilt thou restrain thyself for these things, O Lord? Wilt thou hold thy peace and afflict us very severely? I am sought by those who ask not for me. Chapter 65. That's an interesting phrase. I am sought by those who ask not for me. I am found by those who sought me not. I said, Behold me, behold me unto a nation that is not called by my name. Boy, that's an interesting phrase. This is in Isaiah. This is in the Old Testament. That's interesting. Echoes Romans 10, Romans 11, and so on. I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people that walketh in a way that was not good after their own thoughts, a people that provoketh me to anger continually to my face, that sacrificeth in gardens and burneth incense upon altars of brick. This, of course, is speaking of false worship, idol worship. The altars of God were of unhewn stones. No tool was to touch it. When you talk about brick and so forth, you're talking not about the altars of God, but the altars of the heathen, that remain among the graves and lodge in the monuments, that eat swine's flesh. If you have any Levitical insights, you realize he's not talking about proper worship here. And the broth of abominable things is in their vessels, that say, Stand by thyself, come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. These are the smoke of, in my nose, a fire that burneth all the day. Behold, it was written before me, I will not keep silence, but will recompense, even recompense into their bosom, your iniquities. And the iniquities of your fathers together, saith the Lord, who have burned incense upon the mountains and blasphemed me upon the hills. Therefore will I measure their former work into their bosom. Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, destroy it not, for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servants' sakes, that I may not destroy them all. And I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob, and out of Judah an, inher an inheritor of my mountains. And mine elect shall inherit it, and my servant shall dwell there, and Sharon shall be a fold of the flocks in the valley of Achor, a place for herds to lie down in, for my people that have sought me. The valley of Achor. Achor is a sign of worldly disobedience. It was the scene of the sin of Achan in, in uh, the book of Joshua, as you recall. Joshua 7, and uh, so on. But ye are they that forsake the Lord, and that forget my holy mountain, that prepare a table for that troop, and that furnish the drink offering unto that number. And by the way, there may be a cryptic allusion here to the tribe of Gad, which means troop, and there's a possibility, but I don't want to get into all that here tonight. Therefore will I number you to the sword, and ye shall bow down to the slaughter. Because when I called, ye did not answer, and when I spoke, ye did not hear. But did evil before mine eyes, and did choose that in which I delighted not. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, my servant shall eat, but ye shall be hungry. 
Behold, my servants shall drink, but ye shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but ye shall be ashamed. Behold, my servants shall sing for joy of heart, but ye shall cry for sorrow of heart, and shall wail for vexation of spirit. Wow. Is this the tribulation? Is there a contrast going on between the people that have been disobedient and unrepentant in contrast to some other group that he calls my servants here? Kind of interesting. Verse 15, And ye shall leave your name for a curse upon my chosen, for the Lord God shall slay thee and shall call his servants by another name, that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth, and he that sweareth in the earth shall swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hidden from mine eyes. Heavy stuff. An angry God. Taking out vengeance upon the earth. Tough stuff. Tough stuff. On this earth, on this planet earth, and maybe not very far away for lots of reasons. Now as we go here, it's kind of interesting, the book of Isaiah is divided into 66 chapters. And we can't help but notice, of course, there's 66 books in the Bible. The first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah are of a particular style, sort of a heavy dirge. The last 27 chapters are a totally different style, it would seem. And it's, in fact, that gives rise to this weird idea that there are really two Isaiahs, which is nonsense. The Bible refutes that clearly. But still, we notice that there are 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 in the New. So the book of Isaiah is a model in miniature of the Bible in some interesting ways. Don't make too much of that because the chapter divisions are man's partitioning. Okay, nothing necessarily inspired about the way it's divided. It's convenient. But it's interesting. But it's also interesting that the last chapters of the book of Isaiah are very analogous to the final chapters of the book of Revelation. So much so that if I read to you out of context a few verses and gave you a written quiz, you would be ready to uh, document that these came from the book of Revelation. Listen to the following words. For behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. Revelation 21, okay, 2 Peter 3, and so on. Hebrews chapter 1, 12, so on. And there's more of this, we'll just go on. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing, and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem, and joy in my people, and the voice of weeping shall no more be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Doesn't that echo? You know, Revelation 7, Revelation 21, verse 4, and so on. There shall be no more in it an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old. And the sinner, being a hundred years old, shall be accursed. What does that mean? I have no idea. Well, I have a few ideas. But the main point is, the more we study the millennium, the more questions it raises. Now let's talk about that for a minute. Let's turn to Revelation 20. In Revelation 20, we have very clearly described a period of time that Satan is bound. Jesus Christ reigns on the earth for a thousand years. No. He reigns how long? Forever and ever. That's Handel, chapter 3. But there is a thousand-year period during which something occurs. 
I saw an angel come down from chapter 20, uh, from down from heaven, hand me a key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him in the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed for a season. And I saw the thrones, and it goes on. In the interest of time, you can read it. But basically, again, it mentions a thousand years six times in this chapter. And, of course, at the beginning of the thousand years, there is a resurrection. But verse 5, But the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed is holy he that hath part in the first resurrection. On, on such, the second death hath no authority or power. But they shall be the priests of God of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when a thousand years is ended, then Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go and deceive the nations that, which are in the four corners of the earth and so on. Now, it's interesting... There are those that run around today that say that we're in the millennium. And I love Chuck Smith's eloquent rebuttal of that position. Because if we're in the thousand years, then Satan's chain is too long. No, that's foolishness. But there is a literal thousand-year period. Now, the point is, this period is a millennium. Some people allegorize this. They're typically called amillennialists. They don't believe in a literal millennium. You know, obviously, for lots of reasons, reject that idea for many, many reasons. There really is a millennium. The Bible says so. The angel promised Mary that there would be. When the birth is announced, he will inherit the throne of his father David. There's going to be a literal rule upon the earth. Revelation 20 tells us only one thing, really, and that's the duration that Satan is bound. Most of what we know about the millennium comes from the Old Testament. But the more you study the millennium, the more mysterious it is, because it's not eternity. After the millennium, there will be a time that we'll call the eternal state where things are really different. That's not the millennium. In the millennium, it seems that major elements of the curse from Genesis 3 are lifted, but not all of them. And much of what we infer about the millennium is hidden here in Isaiah 65. Let's go back to Isaiah 65. There shall no more be no more in it an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old. That implies very long longevity. Now, guys... Guy died at 100 years old, he was a mere child. <laughs> the guy dies that after 100 years of living, a mere kid. That's weird. Something's really different. He dies though, which means it's not eternity, is it? The child shall die 100 years, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. So there is sin. There's no sin in heaven. I mean, that's in Revelation 22, a different ballgame. We're in Revelation 20, so to speak, idiomatically. And they shall build houses and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and shall eat the fruit of them. That may sound strange to our ears, but this is a reversal of the curse in Deuteronomy 28, where the curse is expressed that you'll, you'll labor, but another will enjoy. He's reversing that. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall enjoy the work of their hands. Don't take that for granted. That's a blessing. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth for trouble, for they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord, and their offspring with them. And shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, really. And the lion shall eat straw like the bullock. So it sounds like the curse from Genesis 3 is lifted, but there's still some exceptions. And dust shall be the serpent's food. Aha, uh -huh, that didn't change. They shall not hurt nor destroy my holy mountain, saith the Lord. 
Thus saith the Lord, chapter 66, The heaven is my throne and the earth my footstool. Boy, does that echo the Psalms and elsewhere. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? Contrast that with Revelation 11, the idea of the temple, which is given short shrift there, really. For all those things hath my hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of contrite spirit, that trembleth at my word. He that killeth an ox as if he slew a man, and he that sacrificed a lamb as if he cut off a dog's neck. He that offereth an oblation as if he offered swine's blood, and he that burneth incense as if he blessed an idol. Yea, they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delighteth in their abominations. I will choose their delusions and bring their fears upon them, because when I called, none did answer. And when I spoke, they did not hear. And they did evil before mine eyes, and chose that in which I delighted not. Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at his word. Your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, and said, Let the Lord be glorified, but he shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. The voice of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, a voice of the Lord who rendereth recompense to his enemies. In other words, he's rebuking, of course, the hypocrisy. He's rebuking those that are his enemies. Before she traveled, verse 7, she brought forth... Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion traveled, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth, saith the Lord? Shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb, saith my God? Rejoice with Jerusalem, and be glad with her, all ye that love her. Rejoice for her with her, all ye that mourn for her, that ye may nurse and be satisfied with the breasts of her consolations. There's that idiom again. And ye may drink deeply and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and glory to the nations like a flowing stream, or like a overflowing torrent, is perhaps more precise. Then shall ye be nursed, ye shall be born upon her side, ye shall be dandled upon her knees. Isn't that colorful? As one whom his mother comforted, so will I comfort you, and ye shall be comforted in Jerusalem. And when ye see this, your heart shall rejoice, your bones shall flourish like the herb, and the hand of the Lord shall be known toward his servants, and his indignation toward his enemies. For behold, the Lord will come with fire, and with his chariots like a whirlwind, to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. And by fire, boy, fire, fire, fire here. And by fire and by a sword will the Lord plead with all flesh. And those slain by the Lord shall be many. They that sanctify themselves and purify themselves in the gardens behind one in the midst, eating swine's flesh and the abomination of the, and the mouse, <laughs> shall be consumed together, saith the Lord. I know their works and their thoughts. It shall come that I will gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them, and I will send those who escape of them to the nations, to Tarshish, to Put, and Lut, and draw the bow, to Tubal and Yavin. Now Yavin's the Greeks, Tubal is the, the Puts. Tarshish was to the west in any case, you know, the others to the south. And to the coasts afar off, that implies northward, who have not heard my fame, neither have seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. And they shall bring all your brethren 
For an offering unto the Lord out of all the nations upon horses and chariots and litters and mules and upon swift beasts to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, saith the Lord. As the children of Israel bring an offering in a clean vessel into the house of the Lord. And I will also take of them for priests and for Levites, saith the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. What's he talking about? Israel. Is Israel over? Heavens, no. Paul spends three chapters in the book of Romans hammering that home, but clearly God here in Isaiah hammers it home too. God is not through with Israel yet. It has a very significant destiny. And so it's going to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of men that have transgressed against me. For their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be in abhorrence unto all flesh. And that ends the book of Isaiah. It's interesting, it says that their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched. Let me mention something that's a little bizarre. The beast and the false prophet in Revelation 13 get cast into Gehenna at the beginning of the thousand years. If we study Revelation, you find them in, cast into Gehenna at the beginning of the thousand years. Now, Satan's bound. He's not in the fire. The beast and the false prophet are of the satanic trinity. Two out of three are in the fire. But Satan is bound with chain, right? At the end of the thousand years, he's released, Right? He does a little mischief, and then he's put down. And he's thrown in the Gehenna at the end. That's really what it was designed for in the first place. But when it's thrown in, what the prophet sees there, what John sees there, is that a thousand years later, the beast of the false prophet are still there, knowingly, knowledgeably, enduring the punishment. We're not talking annihilation. There's something about our intrinsic nature that's eternal, that's the good news, that's the bad news. We will spend eternity, whether we like it or not, somehow. There's part of us that we're temporarily at the moment embodied in a body, but we're eternal. It's in intrinsic in God's creation. We will either spend eternity in His presence or out of His presence. If we're in His presence, it's incredible. If we're not, we are not only alienated from them, but without hope, because it's eternal. That's what God's trying to get across to us. We'll either be in fellowship with Him or not. God cannot have fellowship with sin. We have a sin problem. No problem. He's taking care of that. And if someone once is quipped, no one will be in hell for their sin. They will be in hell for having rejected the provision God made for their sin. Different ballgame. Anyway, Isaiah really uh, nails it in terms of the, the whole idea that God has enemies. That's a, that in itself is a strange idea, isn't it? But he deals with it. One of the incredible aspects of the life that you and I now observe on the planet Earth is injustice. That God doesn't, why doesn't God do something? He, he will. But what he starts, he finishes. And when the day of vengeance is called, when Isaiah chapter 61 verse 2 becomes Christ's mandate, the day of vengeance of our God. Hey, it's all going to be set, set straight. And all of us, no matter how knowledgeable we are in the Scripture, will probably be startled to realize how justifiably angry God is. He's going to straighten it all out. 
but not before he's chosen the people for his name, to whom he chooses to ascribe the righteousness of his son. Where do you stand? Are you in Christ? Are you the beneficiary of his completed work on the cross? Are you really ready for all this that's about to spring? We didn't get into end time prophecy tonight specifically. We just got there Isaiah. But there are all kinds of indicators he gave us for what's called the day of the Lord, the day of vengeance. Also goes by the idiom, the 70th week of Daniel, this final wrap up. There are all kinds of circumstances that are uniquely being assembled today for that. Babylon is being rebuilt by Saddam Hussein to fulfill Isaiah 13, 14, Jeremiah 15, 51. Magog is getting positioned. The five southern republics being the hooks that will probably draw Magog into this nuclear exchange in the Middle East. could happen any day now. Next week, next month, next year, who knows? But boy, it's ready to happen. 22 nations building ICBMs today. 11 nations building nuclear weapons today. Not the U.S. and Soviet Union, all the others, the third world. I'm not talking France, I'm not talking major, I'm talking third world. Europe emerging as a super state. The world calling for a world government, including the U.S. Strange stuff, but all, it's bizarre from a secular point of view, and yet necessary as you look at the secular problems. All following the scenario, the script, if you will, of Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Revelation 13. And so on. It's all happening. What's happening? Daniel 70 weeks getting positioned. What does that mean? Church is going to be out of here. There's a window of opportunity. Are you in Christ? We're not talking about joining a church. We're not talking about subscribing to quote our program. We're talking about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. He'll take care of the whole job. If you ask him. God has given you sovereignty. Boy, that's a frightening thing. What do you do with the sovereignty God has given you? Only one thing if you're smart. Let's hand it right back. That's the test. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Isaiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store or search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, when we begin a new series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.